The following podcast was recorded live using Podbean's live capability on Friday, May the 1st, during the coronavirus lockdown of 2020. We are talking about Hello Mary Lou, Prom Night 2, and as you can imagine, there will definitely be spoilers, strong language, and conversations of an adult nature. Enjoy! in the sense that we won't do the theme song we probably won't have the well, sunshine we can't things like that. we can't do the theme song we don't know how to we did uh we did we did uh we did try to uh to figure out how to do these things but uh, you're just gonna have to use your imagination i'm sure that'll be fine much for everyone yeah i think that's fine you know yeah yeah chances hummet i'm up for that um what bit did you want me to do the no i'm just not gonna i'm not gonna attempt <laughs> what i'll do is what i will do what i will do is this how about this hang on um, some quick housekeeping before we do get going. You might have seen the rules go by there. I don't want to have to kick anyone out, but I will. I'll do it. If anyone's been a dick or been nasty to anyone, they will be kicked out. We're kind of assuming that this won't be a problem because you're all lovely. We have a reputation for having lovely people out there, so uh, we want that to continue. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, it's kind of common sense stuff, really. If you missed the rules flying by in the chat there... Uh, basically, we yeah, no kind of uh, no abusive behavior or language towards us or anyone else in the room. And also, there's going to be a call-in feature a little bit later on. But just if you could just only use that when we kind of give you the signal, that would also be great. That's pretty much it, really, isn't it? And there'll also be a Mitch's pitch. There will be a Mitch's pitch near the end, and we'll let you know how that will work in due course. <laughs> you uh, don't know how it's going to work. Yeah, I'm kind of assuming that you do. Right, <laughs> I've okay. got other control. Okay, so what's our natural starting point here, Andy? I don't know how to fucking do this, so I'm, I'm just going to play the theme from Seinfeld. Okay. Good evening and welcome to episode 100 <laughs> of Strong Language and Violent Scene. This hey, is... Hey. This is strange and weird and very exciting. Thank you all for joining us. I am, of course, Mitch Bain. I am a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, sometimes filmmaker, right now, turned on by a ghost. <laughs> you sure are. We made it. Episode 100. Yes, we did. And everyone who's in this room right now, whether you've been with us since the start, whether it's your first time joining us, thank you. Thank you so much. I would just like to say that I am in my pants and I'm slathered in grease. Good. Because you can't see me. Um, I haven't I haven't neglected the kind of upkeep to that extent, um, but I am wearing a shirt with a hole in the sleeve because I know I can get away with it. Is it part Sorry? of it? Is it one of those holes in the sleeve, Mitch, that you didn't realise was for you to put your thumb through? <laughs> uh, no, it's also, I also didn't buy like a pre-distressed t-shirt or anything like that. It's just a, it's just a hole that has just appeared from uh, years away in the tear. So, episode 100. We are trying this. It's going to be fun. Uh, if you want to join in, then you can do. That is, of course, the Podbean chat window there. There's also uh, the hashtag SVPCLive. If you want to yep, use that, yep. then um, I'll be keeping one eye on that, too, over the course of the evening. However, the main focus is talking Hello, Mary Lou, from night two. Andy, <laughs> you chose this one. Why? Uh, do you know, I'm going to just come straight out the gate and kind of stave off any attackers I might find by saying... This is this this film's a little bit derivative. 
hot take. Okay. <laughs> but it's also a lot of fun. And it's got Michael Ironside on it. It does, the Turbo Kid guy. <laughs> it's amazing to me, Mitch, that you only know Michael Ironside from Turbo Kid. And <laughs> more recently, from the fact that he was in Starship Troopers, which you were forced to watch because you're on this show. <laughs> I mean, that's basically true. <laughs> I can see a couple of face bombs and shocked expressions in the chat. Dennis Extravatha and also saying The Visitor. A few people hating me for that. If if you are not happy with the idea of me not having watched many films, then uh, you have not been paying attention for the last 99 episodes. Absolutely. But yes, Andy, tell me more. Yeah, um, what do you want to know, Mitch? You want to know the usual things. When I first watched it, yada, yada, yada. Andy, I want to just talk a wee bit about your relationship with this film, how you came across it first and why you chose it for this evening. Sure. I came across this film many, many years after I saw Prom Night. I thought that this was straight down the line, Prom Night 2, and I was blown away by how different it was. It was only with a bit of research on the internet that I realised that, no, this was a film that had the Prom Night name tagged onto it down the line. And the first time I saw it, I laughed a lot. I thought it was great fun. And that's kind of something that's continued throughout my life Anytime I have watched this film. And okay. I think as I get older and we, as a podcast partnership, watch more of this stuff, then it embeds itself more as a film that's just just wonderful. Okay. I mean, uh, my first and second watches of it were both today. Sure. Uh, because, I'm a, because I'm a detail-oriented man. Um, but uh, I had a really good time with it. I think that it's... I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to say that it's a particularly good film, but it's uh, there's a lot to get into, and I think that's a really good shout for this. Also, I just love the fact that I'm just looking down and seeing uh, just things like, um, how did he become a principal? I hate that horse. <laughs> a whole bunch of other stuff. Andy, I am going to get you to do something that... Well, I'm the master of time. Sure, I would expect no less. Um, I have uh, set 30 seconds on the clock. And I do know because while you were gone and while you were filling up on uh, alcohol, I did ask the room if anyone hadn't seen it and a couple of people hadn't. So you are providing a service here, just so you know. I have, of course, put 30 seconds on the clock. I'm going to count you in and we will be expecting your best 30 second synopsis of Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Are you ready, sir? I'll certainly try, Mitch. I'll certainly try. Okay, three, two, one, go. The year is 1957, and uh, <laughs> and the students of, uh, is it called Hamilton High? <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, uh, are uh, gearing up for prom. One of them, she's a bit of a dick. Um, Mary Lou, <laughs> the titular Mary Lou, I'm making an absolute cunt of this. Um, and uh, yeah, she dies on prom night. Uh, 30 years down the line, uh, she returns as a vengeful spirit and inhabits a I get who's in the running for prom queen, although I'm not entirely sure why, because she's decidedly plain. Um, that'll do. Decidedly plain. <laughs> really? Okay. Yeah. Right, I think that we should jump straight into this and, uh, and end that madness before it goes any further. So, as you said, Andy, this was not originally conceived as a sequel to Prom Night. No, what you're watching here, for the most part, is The Haunting of Hamilton High. So at what point in the process did this get linked back? And how did they link it back? Um, well, I, I know that someone from the Samuel Goldwyn Corporation or whatever, they stepped in and decided that this would work better attached to Prom Night, which I know you've just watched Prom Night, the first one, Mitch. I did, yeah, yeah, yeah. I watched that this week as well. Can you see why it would work so well in this part of the Prom Night universe? <laughs> yeah, they don't naturally go hand in hand, but I can kind of see. I can kind of see. 
Right. Well, yeah, the decision was made then to reshoot some stuff and incorporate some f- shots of outside the school uh, and just kind of try to tie it into prom night one, which I would say is done fairly obliquely. Uh, yeah, I would say so. I would, like, <laughs> I, I would, I would, I would say that it's, uh, it's very, very tenuous indeed. But we do open with uh, some very dramatic music and some decidedly undramatic exterior shots of high school. Uh, we, well, we do come across an ominous crate in the basement here. Bursts, uh, bursts open of its own volition and away we go. Yeah, it spews forth the film's title, which is helpful because now we know what we're watching. Yeah, it's good that, isn't it? So we are in 1957. And in what I feel is an odd order to do it, uh, our titular Mabelou mm-hmm. goes to confession before she goes to prom. I guess maybe the plan is that she's going to commit so many sins that night that it's best to start with a clean slate. Ah, uh, yeah, perhaps. Yeah, just clear the decks. And then yeah, absolutely. She goes back in the morning. Also, uh, hello, Mary Lou. Goodbye, Heart plays in the background here. If you're looking for a drinking game in this film, I would say that it is whenever a song with Mary Lou in the title plays, anyone. Uh, also, anytime anyone crosses himself, uh, anyone says the word Lord or Jesus, anytime you see anybody do anything with a crucifix. <laughs> There's a real kind of variety of crucifix sizes here, from little tiny ones that go around the neck to ones that look like they were given away as a prize in a box of cereal to enormous, gigant- those big, gigantic ones that real devout Catholics have got in their house. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, basically, uh, we, get a, we get a protracted confession here. She's done all sorts of things. Yeah, and she's disobeyed her parents many, many times. Uh, She's taken the Lord's name in vain many, many times. And she's had sinful relations with boys, many boys, many times. Many boys, many times, yeah. The the priest says that these are great sins, I agree. (laughs) I'm not sure he should be passing comment on what's a good sin and what's a bad sin. But if you go in and you confess to something else, if you're going in and confess any murder, is he going to go, oh, that's one of the right bad ones? It's like, uh, it's a solid nine, that one. Um, but she did also say that she uh, loved every minute of it, which I think kind of renders, uh, renders the confession a wee bit redundant. Don't confess if you enjoyed it. Just um, also, just the uh, general approval for the sins coming in on the chat here. Awesome sins, yeah. great sins, <laughs> no point doing rubbish ones. <laughs> like, Can I just ask, uh, and I don't want to dig too much into anyone's religion here, but has anyone actually been to a confessional? Can anyone tell us if this is in any way accurate? Oh yeah. yeah, I'm getting, I'm getting, I'm getting a couple of yeses here. Yeah, yeah, yep, yep. yep. Uh, accurate, accurate. Yep, people are saying that it's pretty close to the mark. I would say, so it is good actually. I'm glad that they've done their homework on the score. <laughs> for sure. Thanks, guys, for weighing in on that. Yeah, good. Um, but she's off to prom. She's there with Billy Norden. Uh, yeah. As uh, Canel on the chat rightly pointed out, they, they get an actor in who's got a bit of a receding hairline so that they can justify later on casting Michael Ironside as him. 100%. That's absolutely what they're doing there. It's so transparent. <laughs> <laughs> Almost incredibly so. Billy, it seems like you're kind of kind of like, you're kind of wholesome. I'm going out with the most peachy Keaton gal in school kind of guy. Um, she is pretty cool, by the way. I've got to be honest. Uh, I find myself drawn to Mary Lou. Oh, really, yeah? Now, this prom, does this prom remind anyone else of the Enchantment Under the Sea dance from Back to the Future? Like, in the decor? Oh, uh, this is like this is getting out of my real house again. <laughs> <laughs> yes, says Alexis. Thank you, Alexis. Now, what's a sock hop? Is this a sock hop? Is that a dance? Is that what they're doing here? I have, I have, I have no idea what a sock hop is. I've seen it on invitations and in interest in high school comedy shows and things like that, but that's about the height of it. What do you mean you've seen it on invitations? Mm-hmm. Oh, you know, in, in TV shows, I haven't been invited to a sock hop. I was going to say, why have you been invited to a sock hop and then not gone? <laughs> yeah, morbid curiosity would have taken all day. Definitely would have been there. But yeah, Billy 
goes off to get uh, get her some punch, comes back, she is gone. She's taken off with uh, Buddy Cooper for some of those sinful relations. Yeah, 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 which is, uh, which is interesting given uh, where life will lead Buddy. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. The sound editing when he catches, so obviously Billy goes behind the bleachers or whatever it is and catches them making out. The sound editing here is fucking gross. <laughs> it's so slobbery. I do also think it's really funny that Buddy is obviously supposed to be played off immediately as this incredibly debauched guy to the point, you know, like he's he's like making out with the girl, but also kind of like with his free hand, just like swigging a bottle of vodka. Oh, he's bad. He's bad to the bone. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's established as bad before we've heard a word of dialogue from him. Apparently, at this point, he catches them, they storm out. Uh, Billy tries to confront Mary Lou about this. And she says, it's not who you it's not who you come with, it's who takes you home. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, or, or uh, who you leave with. Um, she's got a point. This also, it's, a, it's an exact mirror of a line of dialogue from Prom Night. And apparently, it's also a coincidence. <laughs> so, Billy, understandably aggrieved, heads to the bathroom. We come across two ne'er-do-well students uh, kind of planning a stink bomb prank, which I didn't realize was a thing in 1957, but here we are. I also didn't realize that stink bombs were massive metal tubes. I, I thought they were little glass vials that were filled with smelly chemicals. Yeah, this I, is I was going to say, rather a stick than... of dynamite. Absolutely a stick of dynamite. That's exactly the visual that you get. Um, but Principal Romero, see what they did there? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Is on his way. They panic. They throw it in the bin. But Billy, kind of seeing a revenge opportunity, waits <laughs> until the commotion has died down retrieves it himself, heads upstairs to the rafters, and gets ready to uh, drop it to claim his vengeance on all the various people who have wronged him. I love that uh, Principal Romero's kind of parting shot on screen here is something along the lines of a rock and roll will never last. Yeah, I know, yeah. It's totally supposed to be like a crusty old Dean thing, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, but how wrong was he? Oh, yeah, I mean, yeah. (laughs) What we have next... I think, actually, I know it's supposed to be distressing, but it's very, very funny, in my opinion. <laughs> Mary Lou's crowned prom queen. I say crowned, she makes her way to the stage. And um, at this point, uh, he's like I say, he spots his revenge opportunity and waiting in the rafters like a shit phantom of the opera, drops the stick of dynamite slash stink bomb <laughs> and uh, sets her dress on fire and burns it alive. Yeah, she goes up like a fucking torch, man. She goes up like magician's flash paper. Yeah pretty horrendous also and uh, someone in the chat earlier on when we were waiting for it to start somebody asked the question why is he not immediately sent to jail <laughs> well i mean uh, his punishment is to then be the principal of a school surely that is as bad as it gets to then be made responsible for however many hundred screaming fucking fighting little dicks it does seem irresponsible, though, which Shan has just pointed out in the chat. It's like, why does he become principal? And it does seem like, literally, I mean, I understand what you're saying, Andy, if you're like, kind of trying to do like, a cruel and ironic punishment, but it's also incredibly negligent. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Interesting fact about that body burn. For a long, long time, that full body burn um, was the longest in cinematic history. Really? It's an impressive stunt. Aye, it is. Yeah, yeah. I just also want to mention Chris on the chat um, saying that uh, nobody helps her apart from the one guy that appears to offer her his jacket. She's certainly not cold. So uh, I guess it's... Uh, No. No, It's nice to know that chivalry isn't dead though, isn't it? (laughs) She is. She sure is. A 30-year chronology hop happens at this point. And uh, we do end up 30 years in the future. I say in the future, we're in 1987. Our principal protagonist, Vicky Carpenter, see what they did there again. I I think it's important to touch on that. This is another one of those films where every single fucking character has a horror film director's surname. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
across there's the board. Carpenters across the board. in here, there's Romero's, there's uh, Hen and Lotters, there's all manner of madness. Yeah, it's pretty on the nose. More carry vibes here, again, as you see kind of Vicky meeting her family, the religious zealot mother, <laughs> all this kind of thing. Prom is va- is uh, fast approaching. She wants to buy a prom dress. Her dad seems to be okay with it. Her mom is kind of very, very much not, presumably because she thinks that proms are kind of like totems to debauchery and premarital sex and alcohol and things like that. Her, her dad is a straight up fucking cuck. Absolutely. Yeah. I remarkably so, I would say. Um, Dennis is just saying, by the way, that if he made a film, he would use the surnames Bane and Stuart. Good man. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Could be one character, Stuart Bane. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. The mum seems to have a real grievance with bikers. The specific target of this kind of ire is Craig Nordham, her date for the prom and her presumable boyfriend. Yeah, and uh, son of notorious woman emulator, Bill Nordham. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Begrudged, jilted woman emulator, Billy Nordham. (laughs) See, uh, there's a scene just after this when um, Craig and Vicky take off on the motorbike. Um, by the way, that's yep. Craig, not Craig, Americans. Uh, yeah. Um, but they take off on that motorcycle and they go to like a like a cafe or a, what would you call it, a coffee shop. And uh, they're mm-hmm. served by a man who appears to be blind. Uh... <laughs> he wears the sunglasses yeah, indoors, that, He's got right? a very lax attitude to portion control. Yeah, I want to believe that he is a blind man uh, who just, uh, you know that kind of kung fu thing where like, you're so zen and you're so in touch with the world around you that you can like you can like pluck those little fluffy things that fly from a dandelion. You can pluck them out the air when you mm-hmm. you're not looking. I like to think that he just intrinsically knows when a coffee cup is near in its fullest. A couple of people agreeing with me here, Mitch. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, like a, a nice ripple of consensus going on. <laughs> While we're here, actually, as well, Craig gives as a present to uh, Vicky. He gives her a cross, which I think is a pretty transparent attempt on his part to curry the favor of the. Very Jesusy parents here. Yeah, yeah. This is the this is the smallest crucifix on offer. Uh, yes, I would tell all of the crucifixes in this film. Yes, of course. Yeah, hundred percent. Yes, absolutely. Probably not that you can physically buy much. I don't know. I'm not shopping for these things. <laughs> Neither am I. I have to say. No, I'm never in the market for crucifixes. Uh, after this, we head straight to school where we meet Josh for the first time. Uh, yeah. Who is unsuccessfully showcasing a potato radio. Yeah, we've all done that thing. I mean, I, I think this was, I did this in primary school, so I don't know what this is about the American education system, but this is, a, it's the potato battery is what it is here. Josh here, an exact ripoff of Ducky from Pretty in Pink. Um, I'll defer to your superior knowledge. This is another thing that I just know nothing about. Defer to the listeners on the chat, Mitch. Oh, uh, John, uh, John Dodson getting in touch saying, love that guy till he got all rapey, which is fair. He's got an interesting arc, that character. Uh, yeah, he does. He does. Yeah, I think one of the kind of more understated but more interesting kind of more compelling ones as it unfolds, I would say. <laughs> but yeah, rapid fire arsehole introduction here. Um, <laughs> because Josh comes off like a total arsehole, in my opinion. And uh, straight after that, we also meet uh, Monica, Vicky's friend, who uh, bemoans the fact that she uh, is stunningly beautiful and excellent chat, but nobody will ask her out. I love this bit, by the way. I, I think... That introduction to, was it Monica, did you say? Monica, I believe is her name, yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, I think her introduction is really funny. I think it's really funny as well. Yeah, when she um, uh, when she when she says that nobody will ask her out, and then the guy's like, oh, uh, Monica, can I, um, can I talk to you after school? And she's like, fuck off. <laughs> and then bemoans the fact that she can't get a date. Yes, exactly. We've uh, At this point, it's established that Billy Nordham, not only the father of Craig Nordham, but also now the principal, which we've touched on, 
And um, they have they have a fallout about Craig's future. He wants to take his wee gap year. Yeah, much to the chagrin of his stuffy father. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Absolute revulsion, I would say. Mitch, did you notice how many of these early moments in the school are devoted to people's sartorial choices? What dress are you wearing? What tux are you wearing? What colours your dress? Oh, where did you get your dress? Have you got your dress? Oh, shut the fuck up. Yeah, it does sink an inordinate amount of time into that chat. Uh, not least from uh, Kelly, who is... Uh, like I would say, I would say, like lead arsehole in this film. I think that the technical term is antagonist. Oh yeah, but lead arsehole. Talking about uh, Kelly Henenlotter. Kelly Henenlotter. Yes, that's the very one. We also at this point meet Jess, um, one of Vicky's friends, who plants the seed of uh, making an outfit from what she can find in the prop room. Yeah, which is an no. idea that Vicky immediately steals. <laughs> in the very next scene, I'm surprised they didn't happen upon each other down there. I uh, want to say a quick little Gorehound getting in touch saying that uh, Vicky's friend Jess is a cameo from Robert Smith from The Cure. If that's the case, I... then that's a very sad character arc for Robert Smith. I suppose that's true. Yeah. Um, because, yeah, Jess doesn't really. Uh, Jess is kind of gone as quickly as she arrives, but she, yeah, she comes up with this idea that she's going to throw something together from the prop room and then disappears off to a doctor's appointment. And then uh, Vicky immediately just capitalizes on that idea, heads downstairs. And I think it's really interesting and um, a strange choice on the school's part that what we have presumably in the school's prop room, should I say, is uh, kind of like presumably knickknacks from the last couple of years Christmas play mm-hmm. and a chest full of paraphernalia related to a dead girl. <laughs> Why do they have that? Why is it there? Why are they hoarding that still? Is she some kind of dark secret? There's a lot of Nightmare on Elm Street in here. Now, is she some kind of dark Freddy Krueger character? Because they've been good enough to give her a, a gravestone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, 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 it's pretty mysterious, I think. But Jess, we meet her again shortly afterwards. She is a, she's a troubled soul. She's fresh off a dumping, and then it turns out, not only that, oh, she's being ghosted, but then they drop the P-bomb. Pregnant, baby in the way. Yeah, um, just when this looks like it's real dramatic stakes, Jess literally immediately dies. <laughs> and presumably her uh, unborn child, which is tragic. Uh, yes, absolutely. But yeah, she kind of hangs back when, um, at the end of a school day and gets ultimately hung from a light fitting by Mary Lou's cape, which has been dragged up from the basement. And it's kind of figuring in these kind of dressmaking <laughs> sessions that we watch. That's <laughs> funny. Um, <laughs> I think it's really great that uh, Jess is like dressed the way she is and she's hanging around the art department in school after hours because of course she is. Look at her. <laughs> a couple of people are cracking jokes about this death and stuff. I'm agreeing with some of the things I'm seeing here. I think the guillotine would have been a fun way to go out. The Is that what you call it? The guillotine? The paper cutter thing? Yep. I like that there are so many kind of levels to this death. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a little bit of a kind of Final Destination-y multiple fake-out thing where there's a few things that could ultimately get her. Mm-hmm. Um, but ultimately, yeah, she's hung, but not, but not which I think that her being hung by this unseen force, you can understand why that would be ruled a suicide. But then uh, the body is volleyed out of a window <laughs> by that same unseen force. Is she not attacked purely because she starts popping those cheap plastic gems out of that tiara? Absolutely. That is exactly what happens. Yeah, she starts popping the uh, gems out of the tiara and then everybody gets really mad. Um, or at least the vengeful spirit of Mary Lou gets mad, hangs her, throws her out a window. Everyone turns up at the school in the morning and uh, finds, well, they don't find her body, but we get the news. They find out the news that Jess has hung herself mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. somehow, yes, thrown herself out of a window. I would say that her funeral happens conservatively or possibly actually at an absolute outer limit 16 hours after she died. <laughs> 
<laughs> right, okay, yeah. And I think uh, the, the priest, Cooper, takes an interest in time to sermonize about the evils of TV violence. Yep, uh, yeah, yeah. In a, in a death that seems to have been like universally and unequivocally deemed a suicide, he still takes the opportunity to be like, you know what, I blame horror films. <laughs> Um, and also, just as the funeral finishes, uh, Vicky takes a long expository look at Mary Lou's grave. Yeah, what the fuck is she doing there? She spends ages looking at that. Now, there's not a lot of text, so she's either a terrible reader or I have no other explanation, really. I'm happy um, to go with poor reading comprehension. <laughs> um, the school does not stop to smell the roses. The prom goes ahead despite the recent suicide. <laughs> sure. Uh, right about this time, you get your first glimpse of, I think his name's Dave? who kind of looks like Fabio. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and very quickly moves into my favourite characters in the film. Oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah. He's clearly Fabio. 40. You, know, you remember when there was that guy? Uh, I think I think it was in Scotland, there was that guy who was in his 30s and he faked his age to go back to high school and reset his exams. Uh, and he took on the name Brandon Lee. I don't remember this, but, uh, well, but look I can see some ripples of agreement in the yeah, chat. yeah. yeah. Look it up, right? I'm convinced this is the same scheme that Dave's got going on here. Dave, uh, so either that or it's like one of those kind of like um, uh, reporters in disguise, like in Not Another Team movie. <laughs> I don't want to call them increasingly terrifying visions, but I'm afraid that they are increasingly terrifying visions. Um, <laughs> Kelly, of course, the protagonist, and of course, the ultimate kind of target of the possession that we're going to see. Yes. Yeah, uh, not yeah. Kelly, sorry, Vicky. Sorry, Vicky. Uh, yes. Vicky. So she starts. Uh, she starts going through some things that I have termed uh, Mary hallucinations. Wow. <laughs> okay. Yep. Just going to let that hang in the air. Like the fact also, that I can't um, hear anyone laughing, I'm confident anyway that no one was. Yeah, Mitch, you might want to just uh, actually. I've got the ability to add audio effects here. I can add a laugh. Okay, can I say it again and you just add a laugh track? Sure. So um, at this point, Vicky undergoes the first of what I started calling Mary hallucinations. You were booed for coming across as desperate. That's, <laughs> it's fair. I deserve that. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Yeah, no, I had that coming. Yeah, a lot of ominous Mary Lou foreshadowing going on through these as these hallucinations keep happening in burned out schools. Yeah. And yeah, schools yeah. that are overrun with vermin. This stuff is Nightmare on M Street to the max. Yeah, um, a few people have already mentioned actually that there's been a couple of times across the board in here that there are some very heavy Nightmare on Elm Street cues, which I completely agree with. We do see Vicky having a conversation with her parents at this point about her also wanting to take a gap year. It's an exact mirror, pretty much, of the conversation that her boyfriend, Craig, had with uh, his family. They also, they're disgusted by the notion of her taking a, uh, a gap year. Yeah, yeah, very, yeah. I've told you this before. I love an awkward dinner scene. And we get one round about here where uh, Vicky's, pl- I mean, she's going to make her own decisions in life, Mitch. You love an awkward dinner almost as much as you love an awkward funeral. And God bless you, Andy, you get both of them in this film. <laughs> <laughs> this is a film that keeps on giving. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, but yeah, there's there's a nice storm off. Storm off from dinner tables are incredibly awkward, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. Because then you've got two parties left at the table, and in this situation, that dad's got nothing to say. Absolutely not. He was he like he had very little to say in the first instance, but after the storm out, he's an absolute placeholder, an absolute houseplant in that exchange. <laughs> We get a little budding romance between Monica and Josh here that's kind of alluded to. It's not really developed particularly at this point, but... It has, there is no point. No point in this. No, this kind of feels a little bit paddy to me. We're not really expected to invest in either of those two characters. It's not really teased out in any other way. It just kind of feels like it's there to fill a hole. Sure, yes, yes. Another made hallucination upcoming when Vicky is knocked out by a volleyball in hilariously dramatic fashion. 
Amazing. Um, Did you notice the gym teacher, by the way? He is the creepiest motherfucker in the world. He's got like a big, weird moustache. He's got sunglasses on again indoors, and he's got a low cap on. He's like the kind of face on a warning poster. He's the kind of guy that's like coming round the doors and saying, hi, uh, I've just moved to the neighbourhood, and I've been told by the courts that I need to come and tell you I'm a sex offender. <laughs> All the teachers give off that kind of vibe with this. I mean, certainly a couple of them do. It's like a very shady school. It's Kelly that delivers the knockout blow with the volleyball here to <laughs> Vicky. And did anyone else notice that in a lot of scenes that Kelly is in, she is drinking Diet Pepsi with the can facing outwards? She drinks Diet Pepsi in almost every scene that she's in. That's a known fact. Here's me thinking I was being observant. Vicky has another kind of increasing, I'm, I'm going to say, like with a capital I, capital T, and capital V, increasingly terrifying vision here mm-hmm. like like it, it doesn't serve much more of a purpose beyond she she faints and we get more vaguely creepy shit that alludes to what's going to happen there sure a lot of these visions they're, they're just an excuse to do mad stuff but i quite like it yeah oh, i think so it's not a million miles away from some of the obviously the ones in this film are considerably less mental but just a couple of weeks ago we did later the white worm and mm-hmm. the nightmare sequences in that don't need to be as mad as they are but i love the fact that they are it does feel like a bit of an excuse to just be an absolute grab bag of stuff yeah yeah and run about uh, this I'm time fine with it. yeah yeah absolutely me too and run about this time you do get just a layering on of mad visuals like uh sinister artworks and like run about this point you get your first vision of the rocking horse oh my god the rocking horse is my absolute favorite thing yeah i, I could have watched the a film horses. about the rocking horse <laughs> i just see team horse coming in from canal i love that horse says Kean. oh the rocking horse was amazing says Hanny. that horse is the best rocking yeah. horse tongue uh, the tongue the tongue is frightening hashtag crazy horse but people are loving the horse <laughs> the horse is pre- it's my favorite character by the way if this was a like a Wanaverse film you know fine well that horse would have a fucking film that horse would have a film that cost 22 million dollars to make and would have 23% on Rotten Tomatoes if that was a Wanaverse horse <laughs> I'm infinitely grateful that that is not a Wanaverse horse. I'm also just seeing a rocking horse creation as a potential sequel coming in as well. <laughs> I demand my horseverse films. Oh, uh, oh my god! I'm just, I'm, well, I'm just yeah. going to come back to these later. And I'm going to come back to these in the minisode because people are streaming in with um, uh, horse universe stuff, film yeah. suggestions. Amazing! Yeah, rocking horse two, the rockening red rum is excellent. Uh, for anyone that hasn't seen this, this will be making absolutely no sense whatsoever. But basically, the next maybe hallucination involves a a rocking horse which uh, becomes sentient and also has a massive tongue. It's horrible. Do you not? And it's do amazing. you not think that the, the tongue is very sexually aggressive? It's very suggestive. It's a very lascivious tongue. <laughs> it's it's like that Joe Biden deep fake that Donald Trump thought was real earlier on in the week. <laughs> So we've uh, sat there for you there. However, I would also say, like, this is obviously, like, on the face of it, this horse is fucking ludicrous. Like, it's it's my favorite thing, and, I, and I'm delighted when he reappears later. If this was in Mulholland Drive, there would be legions of essays written about this horse online. <laughs> yeah, yeah, agreed. It feels like quite a lynching shout to my ear. I'm possibly giving it too much credit, but maybe. But, yeah, we do have a horse-based hallucination, and Vicky is starting to lose it, I think, a little bit at this point, to be fair. Oh, do you think so? Yeah. Yeah, you know, I'm just I'm, I'm picking up on the odd thing. It's subtle. It's seeded. <laughs> that she's possibly not doing so well. Around this point, Bill heads to the basement. He's looking a little bit like he's going to open the box. He obviously shouldn't open the box. Uh, Vicky goes to confession. She has a little bit more of a tame one, really. But she mm-hmm. does mention that she's having these Mary Lou-themed hallucinations. It's enough to rattle our priest, who is, of course, Buddy Cooper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He is, uh, I guess, he was the love rival of Bill. Yeah, I've also just had a question asking what sort of state she's in at this point. I think she's 
he's in a state of near distress. I would say a state of quasi distress <laughs> at this point. I'm not going to drop it just yet. Um, Father Cooper, Bud Cooper, debauched All-American, now a mild-mannered priest, but very disturbed by these words. And obviously, this rings a bell. He's obviously starting to worry that Mary Lou has returned. I still think that with no evidence of her having done that before, he's connecting dots at a rapid rate here. He's connecting dots at a rate that could best be described as breakneck, sure. I would say. But it's around about this time also that Vicky heads out and she has an incredibly improbable graveside encounter with Cooper. Yeah, she's wandering in the dark in a graveyard and just happens to bump into a priest wandering in the dark in a graveyard. Yeah, it's really good as well that when she meets this priest, she takes the Lord's name in vain with commendable gusto. <laughs> uh, and then almost immediately, he's so rattled by this that he decides that he's going to exercise a church, which for Mamani seems like the easiest place to exercise maybe anywhere. Yeah, I would say that that is, I would say that that's fair. I also think that like this is doomed to fail, that like a hastily arranged exorcism is way more of a third act solution to me. Yeah, he busts out as a big book of demons and he's chanting away in Latin and we all know no, nothing good has ever come from Latin. And he, he's kind of displaying a kind of fundamental lack of demon banishment knowledge here by screaming the body of Christ <laughs> compels you. While he's waving a crucifix. Yeah, it's like it's like that guy got his priest's degree on the internet. Absolutely. <laughs> I just want to say as well, by the way, that the rate of genius that is coming in on the chat is faster than I can rationalize. I'm just gonna have to read this back and try and put together some kind of highlight reel for a minisode because you're all fucking hilarious. You're all funnier than we are. But yeah, this exorcism, it's kind of doomed to fail. Um, and I think that there is no more on the face of it indicator that your exorcism hasn't worked than your Bible bursting into flames. <laughs> this stuff's classic. I mean, this is the point where the film says, right, we've done Nightmare on Elm Street now. We've touched on Carrie. We'll come back to that. Let's spend some time in The Exorcist. Yes. And we do spend a reasonable amount of time in uh, Exorcism Country, or indeed Linda Blairsville. <laughs> yes. yes. It, Thank you, Josh. Uh, yeah, as it, as, it, as it is mentioned later. By the way, also, not only does this film pay homage to The Exorcist a lot, at one point, Josh does say Linda Blairsville. Josh makes all The Exorcist. Like, this film is at pains to make sure that you know that at some point in his life, the Josh character has seen The Exorcist. <laughs> yeah, he gets all the exorcist chat. <laughs> We're kind of pulling towards the prom here, and this gear shifts into absolute insanity right about this time, much to my absolute delight. One of my favorite moments in the film, it's just so incredibly awkward, but also just like very funny, mm -hmm. is that moment where obviously, like Vicky, now I would say pretty far along on the possessed by Mary Lou spectrum sure. at this point, she starts seducing her dad and does this you've jumped way far ahead you've got you're just going to blow past father cooper warning bill that she's coming oh god that's a really important exchange yeah yeah no one ever relies on me to keep anything linear on this show it's impossible for me to do so um there was that one time i rounded out an episode on my own and it was absolutely painful <laughs> Never like yeah, it's true. Okay, you are right. It's it's worth mentioning. It is an important exchange when we do see Bill and I'm saying Bill and Bud because I get the impression that they're now both presumably in their fifties or forties. I guess they would prefer to not be called Billy and Buddy. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to call them Bill and Bud at this point. And they have this exchange that's kind of like partially this very uncomfortable walk down memory lane where they both talk about what happened to them and tension and all that kind of thing. 
but also mostly just kind of talking about this oncoming demon presence. It's a really weird exchange, I think. I feel like it should almost hit harder than it does. Bill just kind of washes it off. He brushes it off. He He's not buying into any of this mumbo jumbo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's like a healthy, a healthy level of skepticism, which I still think if you don't know what's going on and you don't know the backstory, I think that having a healthy level of skepticism based on the evidence as it's presented to you is totally fair. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like when someone's like, oh, what I think's happening is the vengeful spirit of someone who burned to death 30 years ago is back. I'd be like, eh, let's put a pin in that. What else could it be? <laughs> it's also worth mentioning that during this exchange, we hear the theory because it's because it's, it's, it's Bud, now priest, former mm-hmm. demon shagger, almost literal <laughs> demon shagger, actually, um, <laughs> says he comes across with this theory and then Bill is kind of dismissive and his response to this is, you've been celibate too long. Do dry spells make you gullible? No, because uh, I don't mind to talk about Seinfeld again, but famously not because there was that episode in Seinfeld where Jod gets really, really clever because his girlfriend won't fuck him. So no. <laughs> Okay. Makes you smarter. That makes sense. But yeah, I do want to say that around this time, the rock and chair incident comes up around here. But before that, Craig tries to understand what's wrong with Vicky, mm-hmm. which unsurprisingly is a little bit of a fool's errand, you know, because she doesn't understand it herself. And realistically, at this point, we've only got a loose sandal on it. Right. Shortly after this, we get a kind of fascinating insight, a little peek behind the curtain into 1987 prom politics. Right. OK. Oh, is this about uh, trying to rig the prom? Yeah. We cut back to the school and uh, Kelly, our kind of principal antagonist at this point, uh, tries to seduce Josh into rigging the vote for prom queen. Now, this is a trope that has obviously been visited quite a lot down the years. This, oh, there was a ballot stuck in the box, and oh, there was two ballots, and now this person wins, <laughs> all this kind of thing. They're seldom so technically. This is, no, I mean, I like the ballot system for how the prom king and queen are chosen in this film is more sophisticated than the literal electoral system in America. It's more sophisticated than the electoral system here. We put an X on a little bit of paper, then some poor bastards sit and count them. More than 30 years ago, the prom king and queen were decided by digital ballot. (laughs) But Kelly, she is pretty confident that she's going to win, but she wants to make sure. So she goes and she tries to seduce Josh. Uh, She offers him $100, which, you know, 1987, you know, like that's 43 grand in today's money. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but he's not for it. He's an honourable man. He rebuffed this, so he's an honourable man up to a point. We'll ultimately figure out what his price is in due course. And actually, he's not an honourable man at all. You have some opinions? Would you like to expose them now? No, I've got some thoughts on Josh's behaviour later. Yeah, it's pretty despicable. We'll uh, cross that bridge when we get there. Although John Dodson has just uh, shouted in with rapey we shite. Can't disagree. No. We'll get to that in a sec, but in the meantime, we are just getting, I think I kind of feel at this point, like the film lays it on really fucking thick with hallucinations and visions um, yeah, at this point. And I think that it is, it's just, try, just trying to sell you on this uh, this descent. But I kind of feel like we don't necessarily need all of these, but I understand why they're all there. Is what I'm okay, saying. yeah, yeah, me too. The hallucinations. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk about, at this point, Josh carries on. I think this is actually the first instance of when Josh makes an exorcist joke. Yeah, okay. Uh, the first exorcist joke. He makes a your mother sews socks in hell joke and Karis joke and all that kind of thing. <laughs> and at that point, he also says, he's like, oh, th- there could be advantages to a girl whose head spins around, which I'm assuming is supposed to be kind of like vaguely misogynistic, kind of like lad chat, but also it's to- it's so incoherent that I don't really know what he means. Like, I'm assuming uh, that that kind of like casual high school locker room misogyny is what he's shooting for, but it makes so little sense that I, it barely even registers as that. Well, I'm sitting here racking my brains, Mitch, as you can imagine. I'm trying to figure out the pros and cons of being able to rotate your head in a sexual way. And the only one I'm really coming up with I've got three that all revolve around fucking from behind. Okay, by all means, list them. Yeah, I'm, I'm going. Uh, one of them, you could make prolonged 
eye contact, which is weird and creepy and no one wants to do it. Happy with that? Two, you could kiss, which is fine, but it's weird. But to be honest, actually, all of these are kind of cut off by the fact that if, if they're facing back towards me, I can't see the photograph of myself that I've sellotaped to the back of their head. <laughs> Uh, the third one, Jesus by the Christ. way, was going to be, or you could talk, which, God forbid, n- nobody wants to do that. Um, Canel has also suggested that it's handy for bombing an owl. <laughs> so uh, big thanks for that. Yeah, thanks, Canel. Uh, my wife weighing in there. Uh, yep. Vicky is fully possessed at this point, or at least she is after she gets yanked into a chalkboard during detention. Yeah, chalkboard fingers on a chalkboard chalkboard. That has to be the worst sound in the world. Uh, yes, it's horrible. It is absolutely horrific. Um, she emerges kind of from the basement, naked and a bit weak, and with, with a hairstyle that I have characterised as demon frizz. Her hair has gone very frizzy. Yeah. Um, Laura's made a good point there, actually. I don't want to blow by the fact that the part where she gets pulled into the chalkboard is a really cool effect. The way that it plays out is really cool. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. I really like the feel of it. I don't, I don't, I don't want to blow past that because that's, that's, a very, that's a very cool thing. So she goes back for another confession at this point, which is another thing for the drinking game, by the way anytime anyone goes to confessional. It's a little bit more interesting this time. She terrorizes Buddy in Mary Lou's voice, which I think is, again, pretty effective. Ultimately stabs him with a crucifix. I think that this scene is legitimately creepy until she goes in for the crucifix stabbing, at which point it is nonsense. She dismantles that balsa wood confessional with alarming ease. Absolutely, like a knife through a hot pan of butter. (laughs) And then all of a sudden she's like, that's her. She's like on her way to prom and she is totally 50s but also 80s, and yet neither either, if that makes any sense. Yeah, no, I know what you mean. I actually, I still don't understand necessarily the cues that make people figure out that it's a throwback necessarily. Everyone's like, oh, she's dressed differently. It's like a throwback kind of thing. I don't understand the dots are connecting, but everyone's basically like, oh, there's something up because she's dressed <gasps> conservatively. <laughs> And she's kind of followed around by music from the 1950s as if she's Christine. <laughs> yeah, it's almost, it's almost like she's got like a little transistor radio hanging from her belt, just playing the classic station. Yeah, that, that song gets a fair everywhere she goes. Uh, it really does. Jesus Christ, man, honestly. I feel like half of this film's budget got blown on getting the rights to every song with Mary or Mary Lou in the title and then it just aggressively <laughs> rinsing it at every available opportunity. I love when she sets her teacher's cock on fire. And that happens right here. That happens right now. Yeah, because um, uh, and Mr. Craven, is, he's, he's pretty handsy. He's a bit of a creep. Yeah. Um, and yeah, instant karma because he immediately gets the hair singed off his balls by an Eric Bunsen burner. Do you know, I once had a teacher who fell off a chair, right, in the middle of class. And she was never allowed to forget that day that she fell off that chair. Now, if I had a teacher who had bumped his cock off in class, he would be forever known. <laughs> if I, in fact, if I bumped into him in the pub, I'd be like, how's your cock? Partially out of kind of like good-natured ribbing and partially out of genuine medical curiosity. Yeah, I've got to say, Hanny underscore Ray coming in here with the points that matter, saying that classroom would reek. Now, the smell of burnt pubes, I can testify, that would stink. Not going to ask what story is attached, how you figured that out, how you know that. Um, how you've retained that information over the years. Shakes is insisting that you tell the story. John also saying, don't elaborate. We'll call it a draw. Anyway, Mitch, so to the first nudity of the film, which uh, I'm sure many people here will be happy about. It takes a very long time. Uh, in the sense that, like, obviously, like it happens quite late in the film, but also it lasts forever. <laughs> <laughs> After we get the kind of full frontal and soapy caress in the shower, this is a real light-footed game of cat and mouse. Is it, I, I suppose it is ultimately a deadly game of cat and mouse, but I would file it under the more tolerable ones, because it's all over and done in about five minutes. Because they're naked. Like, just don't give me a 90-minute deadly game of cat and mouse. Just resolve that game of cat and mouse in five minutes like this one does. Mm-hmm. Suits me much better. But yeah, it's a, conf- it's a confrontation between Monica and uh, Vicky. So Monica, obviously, one of Vicky's presumably most loyal and oldest friends, although is introduced as a total arsehole and then 
expected to. Literally, the next time we see her, buyer is being very nice, like one of the ones you're supposed to root for, where she seems almost irredeemable in the first scene. Um, after that, basically, you're kind of just supposed to accept her as being one that you're supposed to like. They have a confrontation. She talks about the fact that Vicky's behaving differently, dressing differently. There's another fucking Mary Lou song on the radio that keeps getting turned on and off. <laughs> after a very, very strange shower confrontation, a hilarious hunt and chase sequence ensues because anyone trying to run in bare feet and a towel across wet ground is funny. Yeah, and yeah. almost without exception, never scary. Um, just want to say that Shakes actually got in touch saying, uh, my son shifted uncomfortably during the whole shower scene. I bet he did. But you just sat beside him, Dave. We've fallen in time with Dennis. Dennis thought this was a watch along and uh, we've just fallen in time and, and to step with Dennis. Oh, we've synchronized. Amazing. So I really like Monica's death here. It's very, very silly. Like, it's really, really stupid, but it is great. It's amazing. Well. It's amazing. She is uh, found lurking in a, a locker using the, the best demon power ever to compress things. She could open a scrapyard. 100%, when all this absolutely. is said and done, that's what she could do. She could open a scrapyard. But she turns her former friend into mince. Literal mince. Actual mince. I would say that this entire chase sequence feels uh, incredibly, <laughs> not low stakes, but very silly because of all the nudity. <laughs> yep, yep. Uh, a lot of people have uh, picked up on the fact that I said mince there and uh, lamented our dearly gone friend, Ron Mince. And indeed the Flavengers. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, at this point, Monica's gone and we're very much back to school. We're getting ready for prom. And one of the weirdest scenes in this, I think, when uh, Vicky lures Craig away from general prom duties yeah. under the mm-hmm. pretense of sex. Instead of sex, what he gets is uh, homophobic slurs and getting uh, knocked unconscious. Sure. Which is mm-hmm. uh, not what he signed up for at all. And then she's right home to get ready for the prom, slipping into that horrible blue dress that she thinks is kind of smart to wear. And she just sits around having a rocking horse suck her fingers. Uh, yes, um, this this entire thing is hilarious. John Dodson has just described it as finger banging the horse's mouth. Can't disagree. <laughs> and uh, Jay Duff uh, also pointing out that she winches her dad at this point. This is, I mean, this 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 is horrendous. This entire thing. One of my favorite points in the film actually is when she is kind of like trying to seductively ride the horse and is kind of cramming his fingers, her fingers into his mouth. <laughs> it's horrible. Yeah, yeah. it's yeah. very very good. funny. I mean. Ultimately, no matter what what way this night goes, right? There's no cycling back from what she's just done for Vicky. You can't. I mean, the way this film plays out, there's no way she comes home from this and says, "Oh, by the way, I was possessed." Like you, you fucked it. Exactly. Yeah. No, there's 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 no immediate bounce back. I wouldn't say uh, from, from this at all. <laughs> no, 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 no. And then she hilariously kills her mum, which is also quite hard to kind of roll back from. Um, yeah, because yeah, she tries. She obviously the mum comes across her um, as uh, Jay Duff put it there. Uh, her winching her dad and is uh, tries to forbid her from going to prom and is uh, telekinetically thrown through a door. That's very funny. Probably deed. Probably. She, deed. I mean, yeah. I, I'm. I'm going to say. I mean, it's it's quite forceful. I mean, it is, yeah. And like I say, f- fully, fully possessed at this point by Mary Lou. And we're off to prom, but I do like the fact that in an impressive piece of showmanship, uh, Mary Lou has left an outgoing voicemail message on the house phone before she's left for prom. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you know, I feel quite happy for the dad. I'd like to think that dad will bounce back from kissing his daughter and the death of his wife and be able to move on to a woman who treats him better. With any luck, with any luck. Or at least someone that who's beliefs are more compatible with his own surely we are hurtling towards the final act here Mm -hmm. we are off to prom kelly tries to rig the vote again and uh andy i think that now might be the time for you to revisit the thoughts and feelings that you had about this 
Well, what I'm going to say, I mean, the first thing I want to say is I want a fridge that looks like a PC. Yes, 100%. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 30 plus years later, that's still cool as fuck. That blew my fucking mind when he opened that computer and it's got beers in it. So uh, if anyone knows how to get my hands on one of them, point me in that direction, please. Now, what I want to say is, as weird and creepy as what he does here is, I've got to be honest, that in high school, I would value a blowjob much more than I'd give a fuck about $100. Yeah. Don't use it as a bargaining chip, though. Ultimately, that is what wins him over, or that's what seals the deal, which is, like, I mean, disgusting. It's probably, like, it's probably the part of the film that's aged the worst. Yeah. Um, yeah. But he alters the outcome of the vote at this point. He rigs the ballot. Um, this is this film's hanging chad. <laughs> when um, the... <laughs> <laughs> the outcome is reversed, and Kelly is installed as the winner, or at least she's about to be. But Vicky, happening upon this information somehow, or Vicky slash maybe Lou at this point, uh, remotely electrocutes him and uh, changes the outcome back to Vicky being the winner herself. Yeah, However, so, uh, um, yeah as, um, as someone on the chat, sorry, let me scroll back a little bit. As Shan has pointed out on the chat, imagine sucking dick to not even get crowned prom queen. Absolutely. Yeah, God, nothing worse. Um, I pound. <laughs> um, before she's even crowned as well, uh, Vicky, uh, she's shot multiple times uh, by Billy, who has yeah. turned up. He's caught and gone to what's going on at this point. And I want to point. I want to just touch on something, right? So we have seen the events of this film through the lens of about maybe eight or ten principal characters at the absolute most. Yeah. The rest of these people are just normal kids who have been getting ready for the prom in the same way that anyone would in any high school and indeed in any high school film. Mm-hmm. Now, we understand that what we've seen here is a possessed, like somebody possessed by a demon being shot multiple times by somebody believing that what they're doing is exercising a demon. For the rest uh-huh. of them, what has happened is that their pal has been murdered at their prom. Yeah, right I do not believe that the, like, yeah, like 90% of the people in here have just been set back 30 years in therapy. Yeah. But like, but the the person, like the most popular girl in school, has been motivelessly shot in front of their eyes, and I don't <laughs> feel like that's given enough point out, Yes, that that is true. That then, um, arguably, the most popular girl in school has been shot by their principal. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's another that's another layer of crazy on top of crazy, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> um. Speaking of layers of crazy on top of crazy, as well. Um. At this point, the apparently dead body of Vicky morphs into the barbecued Mary Lou and uh, she emerges, rises and runs amok. Quite a funny visual, I think. It's quite a cool creature effect, but I think over and above anything else, it's very funny. I think it's excellent, uh, this bit. I, I love it that this film was ballsy enough to try to put in Frank's rebuff from Hellraiser. Yeah, because that's basically what we're looking at here, isn't it? Yeah. I'm like, yeah, a couple of people saying, you know, Katie here saying that Mary Lou emerging was crazy. Uh, shakes in great scene, uh, shades of return of the living dead. Uh, Gorham getting in touch saying it looked good, hit full blown hell, uh, Hellraiser 3, says Barry Delgarno. Um, so yeah, loads of people get in touch, loads of people agreeing with you. I have this kind of this mantra that I've been nursing in my head, and it's uh, never trust a film that opens a vortex. <laughs> I can't disagree more, Mitch. Uh, some films just need a vortex. Look at the, end, the ending of the Monster Squad, for example. That would have been much harder for them to dispose of these monsters than just sucking them through a vortex. Are you saying it's the the easy way out? Maybe. I think that it's. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that all films with a vortex in them are lazy, but I would say that opening a vortex can be a very convenient narrative device. 
<laughs> you can, with very limited explanation, open a hole that you do not need to explain the science of that you can uh, suck the inconvenient characters into and then just very conveniently close. Right, okay. I just want to mention as well, actually, um, a lot of people are getting in touch on the chat right now saying that we uh, neglected to mention the fact that uh, Billy knocks his son out with a shoe slap to the head. That's amazing. I don't know how hard you have to scud someone with a shoe to knock them unconscious, but I love when um, Craig turns up at the prom and he's got like just the kind of fading shoe print on his face. <laughs> <laughs> yep, some people saying there's no way the shoe was strong enough to knock him out. A lot of people questioning the physics of that, and I can understand that. I can understand that. Yeah, I, I kind of want to burn through the kind of end of this because it's an incredible nonsensical sequence of events, really. Yeah, I don't um, even think I'm going to use my notes for this much because they're, they're not enough to even explain what happens here at the end. No, I don't think so. I mean, um, Craig's chased down to the basement. A vortex has opened. Um, <laughs> we ostensibly have Mary Lou defeated by Billy finally crowning her which she didn't get, obviously, in the prom where she burned to death. The spell was apparently broken. It's not. <laughs> but the spell yeah. was apparently broken. Everything kind of seems to return to normal. Uh, mm -hmm. Everybody seems to be okay. Lou vanquished. And uh, Bill, Nordham, Vicky, and Craig leave together. Yeah, did you notice the hilarious cop who just appears for two seconds and he's just like, he's just the angriest man? Yep, yep. Just He was so angry at John Dodson, John Dodson right in there. That cop was livid, says Katie. <laughs> Shakes his cop, eats his, his, eats his two lines. A lot of people spotting that cop. Uh, they get into the car and uh, inevitably, uh, Hello Mary Lou plays. And as it turns out, Billy is, or Bill, is possessed with the vengeful spirit of Mary Lou. And in a final piece of showmanship, she has presumably personalized the license plate to say Mary Lou 2. <laughs> I say presumably yeah. she's personalized the license plate because presumably that wasn't already the license plate on his car because that would be incredibly fucking ghoulish of him. Yep, um, Mark the Davies pointing out again that this isn't a copy of the ending in Nightmare on Elm Street. Yep, yep, agreed, agreed, agreed. But with that, we're basically over the line with Promenade 2. I thought, I mean, this film's nonsense. This film is nonsense. It's incredible fun as well, though. It's a good pick. Yeah. And, and I think that, like, and I think that I'd like to think that um, everybody who kind of watched it ahead of tuning in had a laugh with it as well. Yeah. So we have one okay. thing left to do, don't we? Yeah. And this is going to be weird, but I'm going to give it a go. I am about to upload a image to okay. Instagram and Twitter and send it on to you. All at the one time. And if everyone okay. quickly has a look at our profile on Instagram and Twitter, you will see the image. Mitch, the image is on its way to you. Uh, okay. Bear with me just one sec. Okay, it's arrived. Okay. Got it here. So can I, I, so I'm, I'm, now, I'm now out of this. So is, 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 are other people seeing this? Have we got some visibility on this image? Or should I just start describing it? It's on social media. So, uh, yep, you can, you can okay. start describing it and people will catch up. Okay, so the border to this image is non-existent. Um, it looks like it's just a solid plane of black. The entire, the entire, the entire background of the image is black, and that includes the border. Um, <laughs> we're in a kind of—I want to say like a hilly or treetop setting, right? Yeah, yeah. where we can mm -hmm. see um, uh, some trees, possibly like it's kind of kind of like a forest, a wooded area. Uh, but also in the background, there seems to be a mountain, indeed a snow-capped mountain, uh, in the light of a full moon. Right. <laughs> in the foreground of the image, we have um, a, a campsite, and specifically, we've got a tent. Um, which seems to be inhabited by uh, three boys. The one sitting kind of at the front, wearing a yellow shirt, uh, or a yellow and white shirt, should I say, uh, blonde hair and blue eyes, and he is looking 
not necessarily in a state of some distress, but kind of surprised, I would say. And uh, we've got his pal who actually, like, I can't really see where a head adjoins to a body there. He's kind of like a little Corinthians manny because, like, I kind of see the outline of a body, but I'm just seeing, like, a fairly big head and, like, a giant forehead, like a five head and brown hair and blue eyes again. And then in the background, just zooming in here, there's a guy who I kind of had pegged as being kind of age-appropriate to the kids, but now I'm looking at a little closer. He looks a little bit older. Kind of strange. Uh, yeah, he looks he, like Martin Cole. Uh, it looks like, yeah, he looks like he's, he's certainly got kind of permed, uh, permed locks, I would say. Um, but he's sitting kind of in the back. Uh, but I think that the kind of uh, the driving force of this whole image is that the front part of the tent is being peeled back by um, Go on. this... <laughs> This kind of figure, I'm not even going to say that it's Sasquatchy because it doesn't look particularly Sasquatchy, but it's kind of like, it looks like kind of like half human, half ape with kind of big fangs and uh, kind of big, uh, kind of scaly face. Also, um, obviously it has opposable thumbs. Um, it's holding, <laughs> it's holding, a, it's kind of a proper, a proper lamp. Uh, right. So yeah, I, as an overall image, I guess, against a wooded and mountainous background in the light of a full moon, two boys and apparently an older man in a tent being invaded by a very large uh, kind of like human ape amphibian crossbreed monstrosity with uh, long spindly fingers and white nails holding a camp lamp. Camp lamp, going with it. Yeah, and uh, they all kind of look like they're kind of slightly horrified. He's kind of preying on them. <laughs> Excellent, Mitch. Excellent. Um, I'm guessing you're going to need a minute. Thanks so much. Lantern. Barry says lantern. Lantern is the word I was looking for. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Barry. Is. Right, um, so we can't play the Sunshine Kid right now, so I'm just going to have to think in silence. Well, so I'm happy to inform you that uh, this Podbean Live function uh, does give me some royalty-free music that I can choose from. Right, uh, by so all means, been... fill the 30 seconds with whatever your heart desires. Well, I've been browsing, uh, and what I've come up with is a track called Electro Nightlife. Perfect, go for it. Are you feeling this? How can I be expected to concentrate? <laughs> it's Friday now. Welcome to the GBX experience. It's hilarious. This beat is so sick, it makes me want to synopsisize a movie. Right. I, I haven't been keeping a, a tab on how long this has been going. But uh, it's a minute long, so we'll let it. I'll let it ride give out. Me like, give we'll... me like ten more seconds. Give me like ten more seconds. Yeah. Yep. Barry Delgano saying it's a techno countdown, and Caitlin saying it sounds like Babe Station. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't fucking look like Babe Station. I tell you that much. <laughs> I've got my finger in my ear. I'm trying to get you to call in. I'm just moving it really broadly, moving call in. And I'm um, doing and that Dave also saying that a techno Sunshine Kid remix is needed. Um, working on it. Oh, there we go. We've come to the end of Electro Just want to shout quickly to Caitlin, who also just shouted Beard Station right on the buzzer there. Okay, <laughs> I think I have something for this. Okay, I am happy to hear it. Okay. Fire away. Boy Scouts, Buddy Woodsman, Sherman Necktie, and Morris Moores are determined to get closer to nature. One night, in direct defiance of their parents and draconian scoutmaster Elwood workmanship, the boys sneak off into the woods on the edge of town for a night of campfires, songs, and scary stories. However, their trip takes a sour turn when they set up camp near a secret military testing facility where a nefarious universe-spanning conglomerate, Titan Globoplex, are hard at work <laughs> yes. generating a race of genetically enhanced half-human, half-amphibian super-soldiers. 
Unlucky for Buddy, Sherman, and Morris, one particularly volatile test subject has escaped and descends on the campsite. What starts as a deadly fight for survival soon turns into a deadly fight for survival, as the boys must <laughs> defeat the beast, get back to town, and maybe learn a little bit about life along the way. Get ready to get your terror badge as we take you back to 1984's wildly unnecessary B-movie sequel, Deadly Intent 2, Scout's Honor. <laughs> I am going to give that an applause. There you go. I'm actually, I'm actually getting a ripple of validation in the chat there as well. That's lovely. I can see that. I can see that. Now, what year did you say? I said, um, I said 1984. Okay, you're a little bit out. The actual film in question is 1990s, hilariously titled The Willies. The Willies. Fantastic. <laughs> Excellent. Tell me more. <laughs> Andy, yeah. what is this about? And more importantly, who's synopsizing? Uh, the, the synopsizer for this main episode of Strong Language and Violence's podcast coming at you from IMDb is none other than Mike Stark. Mike Stark, lay it on me, Mike. <laughs> I'm still laughing at the fact it's called the Willies. Sorry. Take your time. Two brothers. John said be... he was hoping for Claudia Carvalho. <laughs> me too, John. <laughs> yeah, me too. Yeah, we all were. This was the only synopsis I didn't have any to choose from. Um, two brothers okay. camping with their cousin try to frighten each other by telling stories. There are two main narrations. One involves strange happenings at an elementary school. The other, a teenage boy with a peculiar interest. Is that is that all? That's it. Unless you watch the film, you'll never know what his peculiar interest is, what his particular peccadillo might be. <laughs> Amazing. Um, that concludes Mitch's pictures, and I suppose it concludes episode 100. Uh, guys, yeah. thank you so much for um, getting on board with us and, um, and doing this with us tonight. Give yourselves a round of applause. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this has gone on way longer than it should have. You all have the patience of saints. Uh, yeah. We admire that very, very much. Uh, and also no. give yourself a crow. <laughs> Why the hell not? Um, whether you've been listening from episode zero or tonight was the first time that you've tuned in or anything in between, thank you so much to everybody who has uh, kind of joined us and done this with us and uh, yeah. tweeted about us and uh, and said lots of cool things and supported us and turned out to live shows and shared and commented and all that kind of thing. Uh, it's amazing. We plan to do at least 100 more of these, so please do stick around. Yeah, guys, um, thank you so much from the bottom of our hearts. You guys and the little community that sprung up around you guys is just wonderful, and it just makes this whole thing worthwhile for us. And um, it certainly, for me, was an amazing way to pass this lockdown Friday in the company, and in inverted commas of Mitch, and in the company of you guys. It's amazing. Thank you. Guys, thank you so much. We are going to let you get on. You presumably need to get home to your families. So um, have a good time. <laughs> All the best. And don't forget, it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chads. See you later. And back out on the Seinfeld theme. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.